Well, I, I am so grateful to be here tonight and to see so many people that I, I know and uh, that I've seen from afar. And I met many of you face to face, and now some of you tonight. And it, it's an awesome privilege. I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed that uh, the Lord would give me a, uh, the pulpit for even a few moments uh, to preach to you. And uh, I, I will go ahead and tell you, I, if you, my voice sounds a little different, I'm on the tail end of a cold. Uh, Richard called me up last week, and he said he was getting a cold, and I woke up the next morning with a raspy throat. So <laughs> we're kind of tied together there. But I'm not contagious. And uh, so I apologize for that, and I'll speak of it no more. It's the, we're going to preach the Word of God. And so I'm looking forward to sitting down and, and having some fellowship, uh, and, uh, talk with, with some of you uh, brethren and sisters in Christ that I love and cherish. And uh, so Debbie and I both, uh, we thank the church here, Richard and Pam, and the, and the church members here for being so gracious to us over the years because it's been, you can't even describe it. Well, I'm going to do something uh, that may sound impossible because I'm going to take a few minutes just to talk about what happened at the cross. And to take that in a few minutes is a daunting task because it's such an awesome thing. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 9, Daniel 9 verse 24. But before I go to the text, I want you to turn with me to the book of John chapter 16. And then I want to read a little bit of John 16, uh, beginning at verse 8. And then we'll go to the text in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. And uh, so what I'm really going to do is, and I'm just going to show you the tip of the iceberg tonight, because that's what it is. This, uh, the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the crux of the purpose of God, redemptive history, uh, it, it's, it's so awesome that what happened there at Calvary in the process of time, in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law uh, to redeem us who were under the law. And I want to do it in the context of what is spoken here by our Lord to his disciples in John 16 when he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit in, as the spirit of conviction. And the spirit of conviction in the new birth. And he says in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Speaking to the disciples, it is expedient, it is necessary, needed for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, the going away there is speaking of his cross work that he would go, uh, go through in his suffering unto death, as the surety, the substitute, the redeemer of God's elect, given to him before the foundation of the world. And then he would, be, he would die, be buried, be raised from the dead, and he would go unto the Father. And he says in verse 8, And when he is come, that's the Holy Spirit, as the spirit of con conviction, he will reprove or convince or convict the world of sin, talking about the world of God's people all over the, God's elect out of every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. It's not speaking of everyone without exception because everyone without exception is not convinced of these things. And he says, 
can convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, those three things are comprehensive, and they set forth things that man by nature does not understand. Man by nature does not understand the issue of sin. What sin really is in all of its facets. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and then righteousness. Man by nature doesn't understand the real concept of righteousness. Uh, Man by nature uh, measures righteousness on a sliding scale of human morality and sincerity. But righteousness can only be measured as it is revealed in the person and work of Christ. And then he says of judgment. What about judgment? The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. And listen to what he says in verse 9, of sin because they believe not on me. Sin can only be understood as it relates to Christ in the glory of his person and the power of his finished work. Because Christ is the standard. And the same thing with righteousness. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Now, how was he going to go to his Father? As the one who'd finished the work. And then in verse 11, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Think of of it this way. Satan, oftentimes, is called the accuser of the brethren. And I always think about that passage back in Zechariah chapter 3 where Joshua, the high priest, standing before the, the judge and Satan, his accuser. And he's wearing those filthy rags, which is the rags of our own sin. And the Lord, who is Christ, comes in. As you might say, the defense attorney and says, take away those filthy rags and put a new garment on it. And that's a, that's a picture of how our sins are judged in Christ and they're not, they're not imputed to us. They're not imputed to us. We wear the robe of Christ's righteousness imputed to us. So Satan's accusations will not fall upon us. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? So in that context, let's go over to Daniel chapter 9. And what I want you to see here, this this, uh, Daniel, in this, he's praying. Daniel the prophet in captivity in Babylon, he's praying, and he's praying for the people of Judah. And in the midst of his prayer, God sent forth the man Gabriel to give Daniel a prophecy. And it's a prophecy of Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, and his coming into the world to do his great work of redeeming his people by his obedience unto death, being cut off. That's what he was. He was cut off from the land of the living. And I like what you said. He didn't... He didn't redeem the gifts. He redeemed us. And we have the gifts because he redeemed us. And that's a good point to understand. Christ, our representative, our surety. You know what a surety does? He's the surety of the covenant. He's always been before the foundation of the world. Christ, our substitute, being our surety, having our sins imputed to his account, He had to become man in that sense. He had to take upon himself a sinless humanity and walk this earth as our substitute, God manifest in the flesh, God with us. And then as our Redeemer, in order to redeem us, he had to die because the wages of sin is death. So he had to die the death that would satisfy the justice of God. And then 
He's our life giver. He's our sustainer. He's our intercessor. I mean, well, can we go on and on, couldn't we? He's our all and in all. And in this passage, and I'm just going to deal with verse 24. I know you might have a lot of questions about the rest of it, uh, and I'm not going to go into that tonight. We can talk about it if you want. And, uh, but it says in verse 24, he says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, if you read anything, any commentaries about this, uh, it usually commentators and uh, theologians usually agree that this is talking about 77s or 77s of years. It would equal out to around 490 years, all right, approximately. And what he's talking about is the time period between the uh, Jews returning from captivity in, back into Jerusalem, from Babylon to Jerusalem, from that time period when the second temple was built up to the time of the Messiah. And it's pretty doggone accurate because it happened that way. So what you have here is a promise of the coming of Christ into the world. And he gives us six things here that's going to be accomplished by that one who is promised, who would come in the fullness of the time. That's the time that God has appointed, made of a woman, made unto the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And he said, in these six things, he gives the totality of what Christ accomplished on the cross to secure the salvation and the final glory of every sinner for whom he died on that cross. It wasn't a blanket pardon. It wasn't some kind of a universal offer. It was a redemption. It was the establishment and the security and the assurance of the salvation of his sheep, the elect of God. The Bible says that when Christ was on that cross and he was hanging there suffering, one of those seven sayings, remember, it is finished. Don't you love that? See, our salvation is based on a finished work, not a work to be done. Hebrews 10, 14, one of my favorite verses. For by one offering, he hath perfected, completed forever them that are sanctified, those whom God set apart. And as you read in John 6, gave to him all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And he did that, Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 says, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Well, what is that body of sin? That's everything that sin is. Everything that sin is, you know, sin comes in, uh, is, is described in different ways in the Scripture. Sometimes it means falling short of the mark. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sometimes it's the word transgression, which is used here in the Hebrew in Daniel 9. Sometimes it's iniquity. Sometimes it's a, it's a debt. Sin runs up a debt for God's law and justice. Well, everything that sin is, Christ took care of it on the cross. He didn't leave one inch of it for us to take care of. He did it all. 
And he starts off with some negative aspects here. Look at, look at the verse 24. He said he's coming, number one, to finish the transgression. Now that's Christ, I believe, taking care of sin in its origin. Many commentators say that that's talking, because that's singular, it's talking about Adam's transgression, and it could be. But sin in its origin. We were all brought into a state of sin and death and depravity by our fall in Adam. For by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. And death passed upon all men for all sin, literally is what that means. This finishing of the transgression means he restrained it, he shut it up. And it does refer to that one sin that Adam committed that brought the whole human race into this state of death and depravity, total depravity, sin in its origin, sin in its beginning. Our fallen Adam is the root and cause of all sin. It's the cause of all of us being born the way we're born, spiritually dead, spiritually depraved. Well, Christ took care of that. He finished that. He made it sure that all of God's people would receive the gift of life, life from the dead. And that's why he said to his disciples, if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. Because the Holy Spirit is the great applicator of the benefits and blessings of God's grace in Christ to his people. And if Christ did not die on that cross, there'd be no life to give. There'd be no faith. There'd be no repentance. So he come to finish the transgression. And you can think of all the glorious things that that involves. But like I said, I'm just going to show you the tip of the iceberg tonight. Here's the second thing. He said to make an end of sins. Now there the word sins is plural. To make an end of it means to close it up, to seal it. Sin and all of its consequences. Not only sin in its origin, but sin in its consequences. The wages of sin is death. What is the result of sin? This passage in James chapter 1 and verse 15 speaks of lust, having conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. You see, Christ came to make an end of sin so that sin could not make an end of us. You see that? And we're all sinners. We deserve nothing but death and hell. We've earned nothing but death and hell. But thank God we have a mediator. Thank God we have a redeemer. I know my redeemer liveth. Christ took away our sins, the scripture says. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, John wrote, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that Christ was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Now, that's, that's, that verse in 1 John 3 and verse 5, a lot of people say, well, that means in Christ himself there is no sin. Well, that's true. In Christ there is no sin. He's the impeccable Christ. But I believe what that verse is teaching us is that as we stand in Christ, united to him as our surety, our representative, our son, God sees no sin. He doesn't hold sin against us. Think about that. He doesn't charge you with sin if you're in Christ. He cannot. 
Again, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who can condemn us? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather, is risen again. God says, I'll remember your sins no more. What does that mean? That means he won't bring them up again. He won't keep a record of them. He's not, you're not going to meet him at judgment. and He's, going to, he's not going to show a, a, a slideshow of your sins. He's not going to do that. We stand before God washed in the blood of Christ. What does that mean? That means washed clean, justice satisfied. He made an end of it. We stand before God clothed in his righteousness. And then here's the third thing he says, to make reconciliation for iniquity. That's sin in its separation. You know what, what separates a sinner from God? Sin does. Brother Richard read that 2 Corinthians 5 passage. That's talking about reconciliation, isn't it? How God is reconciled to sinners, peace between God and sinners, and how sinners are reconciled to God on one ground, the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You take that away, and you've got no reconciliation. You take that away, and you spit in the wisdom of God. My friend, there's no other way. How are we justified? We're justified by God's grace in the person and work of Christ. And so as he goes on, he, he makes reconciliation by the blood of the cross, save us from sin, brought us to this aspect of it. Look at the, and, and look at this when he says, uh, the next one, to bring in everlasting righteousness. The Bible says that Christ, that, that his work, and I love this passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says, it became him. It was becoming to him. It was befitting him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, that's not talking about how Christ had to be made perfect within himself by his suffering. That's talking about how he, he, he was made perfect in the sense that he finished his work. He completed it. He fulfilled it. And so when he says, bring in everlasting righteousness, that's the answer. That's, that's the legal aspect of the ground of our salvation upon which God has justified all of his people past, present, and future. Righteousness established. And let me tell you something. This issue of righteousness is so important. I've been ridiculed because I preach it so much. And I don't care. I don't care. Because I know, I know what the Bible says. Think about this. You know, when Christ began his public ministry, you know when it began? At his baptism. And when John the Baptist came to him, he said, well, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Remember what Christ said to him? He said, suffer it to be so, for it behooveth us to fulfill all righteousness. You know what he was saying there? He's saying, this is why I came into the world, to fulfill all righteousness. That's how he described his mission and his message. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith, knowledge revealed. To faith, knowledge received. For the just, the justified. 
shall live by faith. What is it to be justified? It's to be forgiven on a just ground. And what is the just ground? The blood of Christ. It's to be declared righteous on a just ground. And what is the just ground? His righteousness, the merits of his obedience unto death, imputed to us. And therefore, those who are justified live by faith, meaning they live by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. How God can be both a just God and a Savior. Do you know the only religion, if you want to call it that, the only belief system, you might say, that ask and answer that question is the gospel that we believe. That question is not even considered in man's religion. One of the members of our church who's passed away, he had a daughter who married a man who was an evangelist, and she became an evangelist too, but they weren't preaching the evangel. They were preaching a false gospel. And he tried and tried to witness the gospel to his daughter. And one day he was talking to her and he asked her, he said, do you understand that you need to know how God can be both a just God and a savior, just and justifier? And she looked at him and she said, well, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. That's the glory of God. That's the wisdom of God right there. You won't find that question even posed let alone answered, in any of man's false religions. But, oh, we have the answer here, revealed by God in the person and work of Christ. How can God look at a sinner like me who deserves nothing but death and hell and be both a righteous judge, be true to himself, and still be a heavenly, loving, gracious father? Well, as Gary said, you've got to be taught of God to know that, don't you? You've got to learn of the Father, John 6, 45. And how do you learn of him? Through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, look here. That's, now, that's the fulfillment of the law of God. Bring in everlasting righteousness. That's the fulfillment of the law of God, the justice of God. And then look at the next one. He says to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy. That's the fulfillment of the word of God. Everything in that Old Testament finds its culmination in the person and work of Christ. All scripture, the prophecies, all the types, all the pictures, the everlasting covenant of grace made before time based upon the work in the, of the surety. And when Christ came, what did he do? He abolished the old covenant, established the new covenant in time. He fulfilled everything that was prophesied, typified, and pictured in the word of God. Remember, he told the Pharisees, he said, you do search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, though they are they which testify of me. If you read scripture, memorize scripture, study scripture, 
But if you don't see Christ in the glory of his person and the power of his finished work, you missed it. And isn't that sad? Here the Pharisees were telling him, well, we have Moses. Christ said, Moses will judge you. Talking about the law. My friend, if we don't have Christ, can you, can you understand coming before God at judgment without Christ? What an awful horror it is. We know the terror of the Lord. That's what Paul meant by that. What a terror it is. And that's why he said the Spirit will convict us of judgment because the prince of this world is cast out. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes righteousness without works. He sealed it up, the vision and the prophecy. All that was spoken to God's people was fulfilled in Christ. And then lastly, he says, to anoint the most holy. Well, he himself was anointed as the holiest, the Lamb of God, the one mediator between God and men. The Father said it, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, hear ye him. And then upon his death, he entered into the holiness, holiest, of all, signified by the tearing of the veil from top to bottom. God signifying there that the way into God's holy presence was this glorious person who finished this glorious work. And he ascended unto the Father and sat down at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for his people. Hebrews 1.3 says, Christ is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And always remember that he had the names of his people on his heart and on his shoulder. Names written in the Lamb's book of life, written there before the world began. Paul wrote in Romans 8.10, If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Christ right now is ruling and reigning to bring all of his sheep into the fold. And he gives us free, unlimited access into the holy presence of Almighty God. Nothing hinders us. Because he's removed everything. Think about that. We can enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. Having his righteousness. That's your right. His blood is his righteousness. Having his righteousness. Pleading and begging for mercy that comes only to us in him. And I hope that you can see tonight the tip of the iceberg. Because there's a whole lot more that will be said about all of that, isn't there? Okay. Once again, I want to encourage everyone to stay. Richard is gone to get the pizza, and he should return momentarily. So uh, I'd like for you all to stay and uh, enjoy the fellowship with us there. 10 o'clock in the morning, we will be back here for our first service, and uh, look forward to seeing everyone then. All board, would you dismiss us with a word of prayer and uh, ask the Lord to bless the food we're about to receive?